Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 64 to 65 and in the previous episode we read chapters 62 to 63 and we left off on a note of Bob, Percy, Annabeth, and Bob the cat of course all coming up with a plan as to how they're going to seal the doors of death from the side of Tartarus. And it ended with a very fascinating plan and we're going to see how it's going to exactly work in this episode and in this in this chapter in chapter 64 and see how it's exactly going to work is it going to work or are there going to be some flaws found but hopefully they'll be able to get over that we'll have to see as we read chapter 64 through 65 if you haven't checked the previous episode i highly recommend you do that and yeah so without further ado let's start off with chapter 64 Percy. Iapetus! Hyperion bellowed. Well, 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 I thought you were hiding under a cleaning bucket somewhere. Bob lumbered forward, scowling. I was not hiding. Percy crept through the right side of the doors, and a bit sneaked through toward the left. The Titans gave no sign of noticing them, but Percy took no chances. He kept reptide in pen form, he crouched low, stepping as quietly as possible. The lesser monsters kept a respectful distance from the titans, so there was enough empty space to maneuver around the doors. But Percy was keenly aware of the snarling mob at his back. Annabeth had decided to take the side Hyperion was guarding, on the theory that Hyperion was more likely to sense Percy. After all, Percy was the last one to have killed him in the mortal world. That was fine with Percy. After being in Tartarus for so long, he could barely look at Hyperion's burning golden armor without getting spots in his eyes. On Percy's side of the doors, Creo stood dark and silent. His ram's headed helmet covering his face, he kept one foot planted on the chain's anchor and his thumb on the up button. Bob faced his brethren. He planted his spear and tried to look as fierce as possible with a kitten on his shoulder. Hyperion and Creos, I remember you both. Do you, Iapetus? The Golden Titan laughed, glancing at Creos to share the joke. Well, that's good to know. I heard Percy Jackson turn you into a brainwashed scullery maid. What did he rename you? Betty? Bob. Snarled Bob. Well, it's about time you showed up, Bob. Creos and I have been stuck here for weeks. Hours, Creos corrected, his voice a deep rumble inside his helmet. All right, let me correct that. Hours, Creos corrected, his voice a deep rumble inside his helmet. Whatever, Hyperion said. It's boring work guarding these doors, shuffling monsters through at, through at Gaia's order. Creos, what's our next group anyway? Double red, said Creos. Hyperion sighed. <sighs> the flames glowed hotter, hotter across his shoulders. Double red, why do we go from A22 to double red? What kind of system is that? He glared at Bob. This is no job for me. The Lord of Light, Titan of the East, Master of Dawn. Why am I forced to wait in the darkness while the giants go into battle and get all the glory? Now, Creos, I can understand. I get all the worst assignments. Creos muttered, his thumb still on the button. But me, Iberian said. Ridiculous. This should be your job, Iapetus. Here, take my place for a while. Bob stared at the doors, but his gaze was distant, lost in the past. The four of us held down our father. 
Kronos, he remembered. Koyos, and me, and the two of you. Kronos promised us mastery of the four corners of the earth for helping with the murder. Indeed, Hyperion said, and I was happy to do it. I would have wielded the scythe myself if I had the chance. But you, Bob, you were always conflicted about that killing, weren't you? The soft titan of the west, soft as the sunset. Why our parents named you Piercer, I will never know. More like the whimper. Percy reached the anchor hook. He uncapped his pen and Riptide grew to full length. Kreas didn't react. His attention was firmly fixed on Bob, who had just leveled the point of his spear at Hyperion's chest. I can still pierce, Bob said, his voice low and even. You brag too much, Hyperion. You're bright and fiery, but Percy Jackson defeated you anyway. I hear you become a nice tree in Central Park. Hyperion's eyes smoldered. Careful, brother. At least a janitor's work is honest, Bob said. I clean up after others. I leave the palace better than I found it. But you? You do not care what messes you make. You followed Kronos blindly, and now you take orders from Gaia. She is our mother, Hyperion bellowed. She did not wake for our war on Olympus, Bob recalled. She favors her second broad, the giants. Kreos grunted. That's true enough. The children of the pit. Both of you hold your tongues. Hyperion's voice was tinged with fear. You never know when he is listening. The elevator dinged, dinged, dinged. All three titans jumped. Had it been 12 minutes? Percy had lost track of time. Kreos took his finger off the button and called out, Double red, where is double red? Hordes of monsters stirred and jostled one another, but none of them came forward. Krios heaved a sigh. Oh, I told them to hang on to their tickets. Double red, you'll lose your place in the queue. Annabeth was in position, right behind Hyperion. She raised her drake on board bone sword over the base of the chains. In the fiery light of the titan's armor, her death mist disguise made her look like a burning ghoul. She held up three fingers, ready to count down. They had to count the chains before the next group of tried to take the elevator. But they also had to make sure the titans were as distracted as possible. Hyperion muttered a curse. Just wonderful. This will completely mess up our schedule. He sneered at Bob. Make your choice, brother. Fight us or help us. I don't have time for your lectures. Bob glanced at Annabeth and Percy. Percy thought he might start a fight, but instead raised the point of his spear. Very well. I will take guard duty. Which of you wants a break first? Me, of course, Hyperion said. Me, Kreos snapped. I've been holding that button so long my thumb's gonna fall off. I've been standing here longer, Hyperion grumbled. You two guard the doors while I go up to the mortal world. <laughs> I have some Greek heroes to wreak vengeance upon. Oh no, Kreos complained. The Roman boy is on his way to Epirus. The one who killed me on Mount, Ar Mount Arthurus. Got lucky he did. Now it's my turn. Bah. Hyperion drew his sword. I'll gut you first, ramhead. Creos raised his own blade. You can try, but I won't be stuck in this stinking pit any longer. Annabeth caught Percy's eyes. She mouthed, one, two. Before he could strike the chains, a high-pitched whine pierced his ears like the sound of an incoming rocket. Percy just had time to think. Uh-oh. Then an explosion rocked the hillside. 
A wave of heat knocked Percy backward. Dark shrapnel ripped through Krios and Hyperion, shredding them as easily as wood in a chipper. Stinking pit! A hollow voice rolled across the plains, shaking the warm, fleshy ground. Bob staggered to his feet. Somehow, the explosion hadn't touched him. He swept his spear in front of him, trying to locate the source of the voice. Small Bob the kitten crawled into his coveralls. Annabeth had landed about 20 feet from the doors when she stood. Percy was so relieved she was alive it took him a moment to realize she looked like herself. The death mist had evaporated. He looked at his own hands. His disguise was gone too. Titans, said the voice disdainfully. Lesser beings, imperfect and weak. In front of the doors of death, the air darkened and solidified. That being who appeared was so massive, radiating such pure malevolence that Percy wanted to crawl away and hide. Instead, he forced his eyes to trace the god's form, starting with his black iron boots, each one as large as a coffin. His legs were covered in dark greaves, his flesh all thick, purple muscle like the ground. His armored skirt was made from thousands of blackened, twisted bones woven together like chain links and clasped in place by a belt of interlocking monstrous arms. On the surface of the warrior's breastplate, murky faces appeared and submerged. Giants, cyclops, gorgons, and dracons, all pressing against the armor as if trying to get out. The warrior's arms were bare, muscular, purple, and glistening. His hands as large as crane screws. The worst of all was his head. A helmet of twisted rock and metal with no particular shape, just jagged spikes and pulsing mat patches of magma. His entire face was a whirlpool, an inward spiral of darkness. As Percy watched, the last particles of Titan and essence from Hyperion and Krios were vacuumed into the warrior's maw. Somehow, Percy found his voice. Tartarus. The warrior made a sound like a mountain cracking in half, a roar, or a laugh. Percy couldn't be sure. This form is only a small manifestation of my power, said the god, but it is enough to deal with you. I do not interfere lightly, little demigod. It is beneath me to deal with gnats such as yourself. Uh, Percy's legs threatened to collapse under him. Don't you know, go to any trouble. You have proven surprisingly resilient, Tartarus said. You have come too far. I can no longer stand by and watch your progress. Tartarus spread his arms. Throughout the valley, thousands of monsters wailed and roared, clashing their weapons and bellowing in triumph. The doors of death shuddered in their chains. Be honored, little demigods, said the god of the pit. Even the Olympians were never worthy of my personal attention, but you will be destroyed by Tartarus himself. And that is the end of chapter 64. It was so close. They were so close to getting to be able to break that, those chains. Ugh. But that doesn't mean that just because of this small obstacle, yes, I am calling Tartarus a small obstacle, <laughs> um... I do hope that Percy and Annabeth and Bob are all able to overcome this. And obviously, we can't forget Bob the cat. Um, I have faith that they will be able to beat this. Um, I think that at this point, they've got, they've beaten, they, Percy and Annabeth have both dueled so many people, so many powerful people, titans, gods, monsters, 
you name it. So, I think that this is definitely going to be a very fascinating battle to see. But in the end, my hopes will always be relying on Percy and Annabeth. So now we're going to go for a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to read chapter 65. Now from Frank's perspective, seeing how the rest of that group is doing. And then we'll move on to our Q&A session. So see you then. And we're back from the ads. Now we're going to read chapter 65, Frank. Frank was hoping for fireworks. Or at least a big sign that read... Welcome home. More than 3,000 years ago, his Greek ancestor, good old Parasilamus, had the shapeshifter, had sailed east with the Argonauts. Centuries later, Parasilamus' descendants had served in the Eastern Roman legions. Then, through a series of misadventures, the family had ended up in China, finally emigrating to Canada in the 20th century. Now Frank was back in Greece, which meant that the Zhang family had completely circled the globe. That seemed like cause for celebration, that the only welcoming committee was a flock of wild, hungry harpies who attacked the ship. Frank felt kind of bad as he shot them down with his bow. He kept thinking of Ella, their freakishly smart harpy friend from Portland. But these harpies weren't Ella. They gladly would have chewed Frank's face off, so he blasted them into clouds of dust and feathers. The Greek landscapes below was just as inhospitable. The hills were strewn with boulders and stunted cedars, all shimmering in the hazy air. The sun beat down as if trying to hammer the countryside into a celestial bronze shield. Even from a hundred feet up, Frank could hear the drone of cicadas buzzing in the trees. A sleepy, otherworldly sound that made his eyes heavy. Even the dueling voices of the war gods inside his head seemed to have dozed off. They had hardly, they had hardly bothered Frank at all since the crew had gro- crossed into Greece. And sweat trickled down his neck after being frozen below deck by that crazy snow goddess. Frank had thought he would never feel warm again, but now the back of his shirt was soaked. Hot and steamy! Leo grinned at the helm. Makes me homesick for Houston. What do you say, Hazel? All we need now are some giant mosquitoes and it'll feel just like the Gulf Coast. Thanks a lot, Leo. Hazel grumbled. We'll probably get attacked by ancient Greek mosquito monsters now. Frank studied the two of them, quietly marveling how the tension between them had disappeared. Whatever had happened to Leo during his five days of exile had changed him. He still joked around, but Frank sensed something different about him like a ship with a new keel. Maybe you couldn't see the keel, but you could tell it was there by the way the ship was cut cut through the waves. Leo didn't seem so intent on teasing Frank. He chatted more easily with Hazel, not stealing those wistful, mooning glances that had always made Frank uncomfortable. Hazel had diagnosed the problem privately to Frank. He met someone. Frank was incredulous. How? Where? How could you possibly know? Hazel smiled. I just do. As if she were a child of Venus rather than Pluto. Frank didn't get it. Of course, he was relieved that Leo wasn't hitting on his girl, but Frank was also kind of worried about Leo. Sure, they'd had their differences, but after all they'd been through together, Frank didn't want to see Leo get his heart broken. There! Nico's voice shook Frank out of his thoughts. As usual, D'Angelo was perched atop the foremast. He pointed toward a glittering green river snaking through the hills a kilometer away. 
maneuver us that way. We're close to the temple. Very close. As if to prove his point, black lightning ripped through the sky, leaving dark spots in the four Frank's eyes and making the hairs on his arms, arms stand up. Jason strapped on his sword belt. Everyone, arm yourself. Leo, get us close, but don't land. No more contact with the ground than necessary. Piper, Hazel, get the mooring ropes. On it. Hazel gave Frank a peck on the cheek and ran to help. Frank, Jason called. Get below and find Coach Hedge. Yep. He climbed below downstairs and headed for Hedge's cabin. As he neared the door, he slowed down. He didn't want to surprise the satyr with any loud noises. Coach Hedge had a habit of jumping into the gangway with his baseball bat if he thought attackers were on board. Frank had almost gotten his head taken off a couple of times on his way to the bathroom. He raised his hand to knock. Then he realized the door was cracked open. He heard Coach Hedge talking inside. Come on, babe, the satyr said. You know it's not like that. Frank froze. He didn't mean to eavesdrop, but he wasn't sure what to do. Hazel had mentioned being worried about the coach. She insisted something was bothering him, but Frank hadn't thought much of it until now. He never heard the coach talk so gently. Usually the only one sounds Frank heard from the coach's cabin were sporting events on the TV or the coach yelling, Yeah, get him! as he watched his favorite martial arts movies. Frank was pretty sure the coach wouldn't be calling Chuck Norris, Babe. Another voice spoke. Female, but barely audible, like it was coming from a long way away. I will, Coach Hedge promised. But, uh, we're going into battle. He cleared his throat. And it may get ugly. You just stay safe. I'll get back. Honest. Frank couldn't stand it anymore. He knocked loudly. Hey, Coach. The talking stopped. Frank counted to six. The door flew open. Coach Hedge stood there scowling, his eyes bloodshot like he'd been watching too much TV. He wore his usual baseball cap and gym shorts with a leather cuirass over his shirt and a whistle hanging from his neck, maybe in case he wanted to call a foul against the monster armies. Zang, what do you want? Uh, we're getting ready for battle. We need you above deck. The coach's goatee quivered. Yeah, of course you do. He sounded strangely unexcited about the prospect of a fight. I didn't mean to. I mean, I heard you talking, Frank stammered. Were you sending an Iris message? Hedge looked like he might smack Frank in the face, or at least blow the whistle really loud. Then, his shoulders slumped. He heaved a sigh and turned inside, leaving Frank standing awkwardly in the doorway. The the coach plopped down on his berth. He cupped his chin in his hand and stared glumly at Round in his cabin. The place looked like a college dorm room after a hurricane. The floor strewn with laundry, maybe for wearing, maybe for snacks. It was hard to tell with satyrs. DVDs and dirty dishes scattered around the TV on the dresser. Every time the ship tilted, a mismatched herd of sports equipment rolled across the floor. Footballs, basketballs, baseballs, and for some reason, a single billiard ball. Tufts of goat hair floated through the air and collected under the furnace in clumps. Dust goats? Goat bunnies? On the coach's nightstand sat a bowl of water. A stack of golden drachmas, a flashlight, a, and a glass prism for making rainbows. The coach had obviously come prepared to make a lot of Iris messages. 
Frank remembered what Piper had told him about the coach's cloud nymph girlfriend who worked for Piper's dad. What was the girlfriend's name? Melinda? Millicent? No. Melly. Uh, is your girlfriend Melly all right? Frank ventured. None of your business! The coach snapped. Okay. Hedge rolled his eyes. Fine! If you must know, yes, I was talking to Melly, but she's not my girlfriend anymore. Oh, Frank's heart sank. You broke up? No, you don't! We got married! She's my wife! Frank would have been less stunned if the coach had smacked him. Coach, that's that's great! When? How? None of your business! He yelled again. Um, alright. End of May, the coach said. It was before the Argus against sale. We didn't want to make a big deal out of it. Frank felt the ship was tilting again, but it must have just been him. The herd of the wild sports equipment stayed put against the far wall. All this time, the coach had been married? In spite of being a newlywed, he had agreed to come on this quest. No wonder Hedge made so many calls back home. No wonder he was so cranky and belligerent. Still, Frank sensed there was more going on. The coach's tone during the Iris message made it sound like they were discussing a problem. I didn't mean to eavesdrop, Frank said. But is she okay? It was a private conversation! Yeah, you're right. You fine! I'll tell you! Hedge plucked some fur off his thigh and let it float through the air. She took a break from her job in LA. Went to Camp Half-Blood for the summer because we figured... His voice cracked. We figured it would be safer. Now she's stuck there with the Romans about to attack her. She's... She's pretty scared. Frank became very aware of the Centurion badge on his shirt. The SBQR tattoo on his forearm. Sorry, he murmured. But if she's just a cloud spirit, couldn't she just, you know, float away? The coach curled his fingers around the grip of his baseball bat. Normal, yeah. But see, she's in a delicate condition. It wouldn't be safe. A delicate? Frank's eyes widened. She's going to have a baby? You're going to be a dad? Shout it a little louder, Hedge grumbled. I don't think they heard you in Croatia. Frank couldn't help grinning. But coach, that's awesome. A little baby satyr or maybe a nymph? You'll be a fantastic dad. Frank wasn't sure why he felt that way, considering the coach's love of baseball bats and roundhouse kicks. But he was sure. Coach Hedge scowled even deeper. The war's coming, Zhang. No one, nowhere is safe. I should be there for Melly. If I gotta die somewhere, hey, nobody's gonna die, Frank said. Hedge met his eyes. Frank could tell the coach didn't believe it. Always had a soft spot for children of Ares, Edgemutter, or Mars, whichever. Maybe that's why I'm not pulverizing you for asking so many questions. But I wasn't. Fine, I'll tell you, Hedge sighed again. <sighs> Back when I was on my first assignment as a seeker, I was way out in Arizona. I brought in this kid named Clarice. Clarice? Sibling of yours, Hedge said. Ares kid. Violent, rude, lots of potential. Anyway, while I was out, I had this dream about my mom. She. She was a cloud nymph, like Melly. I dreamed she was in trouble. I needed my help right away, but I said to myself, nah, just a dream. Who would hurt a sweet old cloud nymph? Besides, I gotta get this half-blood to safety. So I finished my mission, brought Clarice to camp half-blood. Afterwards, I went looking for my mom. I was too late. 
Frank, Frank watched the tuft of goat hair settle on top of a basketball. What happened to her? Head shrugged. No idea. Never saw her again. Maybe if I'd been there for her, if I'd got back sooner. Frank wanted to say something comforting, but he wasn't sure what. He had lost his mom in the war in Afghanistan, and he knew how empty the words I'm sorry could sound. You were doing your job, Frank offered. You saved a demigod's life. Hedge grunted. <sighs> now my wife and my unborn kid are in danger halfway across the world. I can't do anything to help. You are doing something, Frank said. We're over here to stop the giants from waking Gaia. That's the best way we can keep our friends safe. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Frank wished he could do more to lift Hedge's spirits, but this talk was making him worry about everyone he'd left behind. He wondered who was defending Camp Jupiter now that the Legion had marched east, especially with all the monsters Gaia was unleashing from the doors of death. He worried about his friends in the 5th Cohort, and how they must be feeling as Octavian ordered them to march on Camp Half-Blood. Frank wanted to be back there, if only to stuff a teddy bear down at the throat of that slimeball auger. The ship listed forward. The herd of sports equipment rolled under the coach's berth. We're descending, he said. We'd better get above. Yeah, Frank said, his voice hoarse. You're nosy Roman, Zang. But come on, Hedge said. Not a word about this to the others, you blabbermouth. As the others made fast the aerial moorings, Leo grabbed Frank and Hazel by the arms. He dragged them to the aft ballista. Okay, here's the plan. Hazel neared her eyes. I hate your plans. I need that piece of magic firewood, Leo said. Snappy. Frank nearly choked on his own tongue. Hazel backed away, instinctively covering her coat pocket. Leo, you can't... I found a solution, Leo turned to Frank. It's your call, big guy, but I can protect you. Frank thought about how many times he'd heard he'd seen Leo's fingers burst into flames. One false move and Leo could incinerate the piece of tinder that controlled Frank's life. But for some reason, Frank wasn't terrified. Since facing down the cow monsters in Venice, Frank had barely thought about his fragile lifetime. Yes, the smallest bit of fire might kill him, but he'd also survived some impossible things and made his dad proud. Frank had decided that whatever his fate was, he wouldn't worry about it. He would just do the best he could to help his friends. Besides, Leo sounded serious. His eyes were still full of that weird melancholy, like he was in two places at once, but nothing about his expression indicated any kind of joke. Go ahead, Hazel, Frank said. But Hazel took a deep breath. Okay. She took out the piece of firewood and handed it to Leo. In Leo's hands, it wasn't much bigger than a screwdriver. The tinder was still charred on one side from where Frank had used it to burn through the icy chains that imprisoned the god Thanatos in Alaska. From a pocket of his tool belt, Leo produced a piece of white cloth. Behold! Frank scowled. A handkerchief? A surrender flag? Hazel guessed. No, unbelievers! Leo said, this! <laughs> is a pouch woven from seriously cool fabric, a gift from a friend of mine. Leo slipped the firewood into the pouch and pulled it close with a tie of bronze thread. The drawstring was my idea, <laughs> Leo said proudly. It took some work lacing that into the fabric, but the pouch won't open unless you want it to. The fabric breeds just like regular cloth, so the firewood isn't any more sealed up than it would be in Hazel's coat pocket. Uh, Hazel said, 
How is that an improvement then? Hold this so I don't give you a heart attack. Leo tossed the pouch to Frank, who almost fumbled it. Leo summoned a white-hot ball of fire into his right hand. He held his left forearm over the flames, grinning as they licked the sleeve of his jacket. See? He said, it doesn't burn! Frank didn't like to argue with a guy who was holding a ball of fire, but he said, uh, you're immune to flames. Leo rolled his eyes. Ah, yeah, but I have to concentrate if I don't want my clothes to burn. And I'm not concentrating, see? This is totally fireproof cloth, which means your firewood won't burn in that pouch. Hazel looked unconvinced. How can you be sure? Sheesh, tough audience. Leo shut off the fire. Guess there's only one way to persuade you. He held out his hand to Frank. Uh, no, 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 no. Frank backed off. Suddenly all those brave thoughts about accepting his fate seemed far away. That's okay, Leo. Thanks. But, ah, I can't. Man, you gotta trust me! Frank's heart raced. Did he trust Leo? Well, sure. With an engine? With a practical joke? But with his life? He remembered the day they'd gotten stuck in the underground workshop in Rome. Gad promised they would die in that room. Leo had promised he would get Hazel and Frank out of the trap. And he'd done it. Now Leo spoke with the same kind of confidence. Okay. Frank handed Leo the pouch. Try not to kill me. Leo's hands blazed. The pouch didn't blacken or burn. Frank waited for something to go horribly wrong. He counted to 20, but he was still alive. He felt as if a block of ice were melting just behind his sternum. Frozen chunk of fear he'd gotten so used to, he didn't even think about it until it was gone. Leo extinguished his fire. He wriggled his eyebrows at Frank. Who's your best buddy? Don't answer that, Hazel said. But Leo, that was amazing. It was, wasn't it? Leo agreed. So, who wants to take this newly ultra-safe piece of firewood? I'll keep it, Frank said. Hazel pursed her lips. She looked down. Maybe so Frank wouldn't see the hurt in her eyes. She protected that firewood from him through a lot of hard battles. It was a sign of trust between them, a symbol of their relationship. Hazel, it's not about you, Frank said, as gently as he could. I can't explain, but I... I have a feeling I'm going to need to step up. We're in the house of Hades. I need to carry my own burden. Hazel's golden eyes were full of concern. I understand. I just... I worry. Leo tossed Frank the pouch. Frank tied it around his belt. He felt strange carrying his fatal weakness so openly after months of keeping it hidden. And Leo, he said, thanks. It seemed inadequate for the gift Leo had given him, but Leo grinned. What What are genius friends for? Hey, guys, Piper called from the bow. Better go to get over here. You need to see this. They'd found the source of the dark lightning. The Argus II hovered directly over the river. A few hundred meters away at the top of the nearest hill stood a cluster of ruins. They didn't look like much, just some crumbling walls encircling the limestone shells of a few buildings. But from somewhere within the ruins, tendrils of black ether curled into the sky, like a smoky squid peeking from its cave. As Frank watched, a bolt of dark energy ripped through the air, rocking the ship and sending a cold shockwave across the landscape. The Necromantion, Nico said. The House of Hades. Frank steadied himself at the rail. He supposed it was too late turning back. He was starting to feel nostalgic about the monsters he'd fought in Rome. Heck, chasing poison cows through Venice had been more appealing than this place. Piper hugged her arms. 
I feel vulnerable floating up here like this. Couldn't we sit down in the river? I... I wouldn't, Hazel said. That's the river Acheron. Jason squinted in the sunlight. I thought the Acheron was in the underworld. It is, Hazel said, but its headwaters are in the mortal world. That river below us, eventually it flows underground, straight into the realm of Pluto, er, Hades. Landing a demigod ship on those waters. Yeah, let's stay up here, Leo decided. I don't want any zombie water on my hole. Half a kilometer down, half a kilometer down, downstream, some fish fishing boats were puttering along. Frank guessed they didn't know or care about the history of this river. Must be nice, being a regular mortal. Next to Frank, Nico D'Angelo raised the scepter of Diocletian. Its orb glowed with purple light, as if in sympathy with the dark storm. Roman relic or not, the scepter troubled Frank. If it really had the power to summon a legion of the dead, well, Frank wasn't sure that was such a great idea. Jason had once told him that the Children of Mars had a similar ability. Supposedly, Frank could call on ghostly soldiers from the losing side of any war to serve him. He never had much luck with that power, probably because it freaked him out too much. He was worried he might become one of those ghosts if they lost this war, eternally doomed to pay for his failures, assuming there wasn't anyone left to summon him. So, uh, Nico, Frank gestured at the scepter. Have you learned to use that thing? We'll find out. Nico stared at the tendrils of darkness, undulating from the ruins. I don't intend to try until I have to. The doors of death are already working overtime, bringing in Gaia's monsters. Any more activity, raising the dead, and the doors might shatter permanently, leaving a rip in the mortal world that can't be closed. Coach Hedge grunted. <sighs> I hate rips in the world. Now let's go bust some monster heads. Frank looked at the satyr's grim expression. Suddenly, he had an idea. Coach, you should stay on board. Cover us with the ballistae. Hedge frowned. Stay behind? Me? I'm your best soldier. We might need air support, Frank said, like we did in Rome. You saved our Brachi. Brachi. He didn't add. Plus, I'd like to get back to your wife and baby alive. Hedge apparently got the message. His scowl relaxed. Relief showed in his eyes. Well, he grumbled. I suppose somebody's got to save your Brachi. Brachi. Jason clapped the coach on the shoulder, and he gave Frank an appreciative nod. So that's settled. Everybody else, let's get to the ruins. Time to crash Gaia's party. That's the end of chapter 65. Now it's going to be, I think, a very interesting time, because now we are going to be looking at both um, Percy and Annabeth's battle against Tartarus, and hopefully being able to access the doors of death from the House of Hades' side, and then we have the group who are now getting ready to go into the House of Hades, which will take them to the Epirus, the at least the mortal side of the Doors of Death. So it's going to be really interesting when we start reading more, more and more chapters next week and onwards and seeing how exactly they are going to access the Doors of Death, how Percy and Annabeth are going to beat um, Tartarus and his monster army. And how the group is going to be able to manage getting to the doors of death from Epirus, from the Epirus side, with also battling a bunch of monsters coming out from those doors. So it's going to, definitely going to be a challenge for both of them, but I have no, uh, I have no doubt that they will be able to succeed in the best way possible. So now moving on to our Q and A session. Uh, let's move. Uh, as always, I would. Uh, 
with these Q&A sessions, I first do the shout-outs, and then I do the Q&As, and if I, once again, if I ever miss your name in, in the shout-out, or if I miss your question in the Q&A, do please let me know, and I'll try my best to make it, get it in the next episode. Um, once again, I would like to give a disclaimer that uh, sometimes I will not answer questions because they may be a bit too personal for me, or and I feel a bit too uncomfortable asking uh, answering at this moment. That is nothing on your part, but I, I just don't want anyone to feel bad or hurt knowing that I wasn't able to answer their question. So now let's move on to our shout-outs. We have uh, Piper Pfeiffer, Sophia Salmon-Smith, Mr. J-Hop, and Graham. Thank you. Moving on to the Q&A session. What, number one, first question is, favorite book in the entire series? Uh, I believe it's The Lost Hero. Um, I think that comically it was one of one of my favorite books in terms of the comedy and everything wise. Um, I, I liked it personally. I think that was my favorite one. Uh, next question is, which big three god would you want to be? Um... It's very fascinating because they all have their own different attributes, but I would most likely, I would probably would like to be Zeus. Um, reason is, uh, I do have a little bit of the fear of the ocean, so I don't think me being Poseidon would really, um, do that well for me. And then Hades, um, he is very, a very powerful god if I do say so myself, um, but I feel like I would rather take control of the skies, um, just, just because I think that the concept of having control over lightning and clouds and potentially airplanes, um, that sounds, that sounds, that sounds interesting to me personally, so I, I think I would probably be Zeus in that case, however, I'm not putting down the fact that Zeus, that Hades and Poseidon are not powerful either, they, they are also extremely powerful as well. It's why they're all the big three. Um, next question is, what do you think would happen if instead of Percy and Jason switching, it was actually Annabeth and Reyna instead? It'd be very interesting because you would ha- have... I think with Reyna, she definitely is trying to find someone, a companion. Um, we saw this happen with Leo as, as a great example because... Leo had Leo Leo had this Leo and Nico actually they both had this feeling of being the outliers being Leo in terms of uh, romantically you know everybody else had a partner in that group except for Leo he was the single one until he met Calypso and then Nico just felt uh like an outcast in general because of um the fact that he was Hades son so seeing that type of um This is fast. I, I almost forgot where I was. <laughs> um, seeing that kind of mindset with N- Leo and um, Nico, it kind of seems similar to Reyna as well. She's also trying to find a companion. She's also trying to find someone that she can rely on. It's why she fell for both Percy and Jason because she admired their work ethic and the fact that they were such accomplished heroes and were able to, you know, defeat monsters left and right. And that is something that Reyna is also able to do and she's also a leader so she she's looking for a companion someone to confide in a confidant a confidant um more to say and i think that if reyna were to switch with anna and annabeth were to switch i think 
Annabeth would probably... It would be very fascinating to see that happen because Annabeth would probably find any way she could to at least get back. And Reyna would have the similar motive, but at the same time, I think that she would have more of a purpose enjoying the fact that she's trying to get used to our new environment and starting out from the bottom and going all the way to the top. And because, you know, in Camp Jupiter, she's the Praetor, but this time if she were to switch, she would just be another demigod, another person who's just in that camp, especially for Camp Half-Blood. So I think that it would definitely would have been very fascinating to see how both of them would have gone back to their respective camps or if they even would have done that in the first place and they stuck to wherever they were which definitely would have it, w- it would be a very I-, I would love to see it sometime I would love to see a book potentially in the future about that um next question is what is the biggest surprise you've seen in the series um this was a while ago but this was when we found out that Leo and Sammy were related um, we did get hints of Leo looking like Sammy, according to Hazel's perspective. But I think that the shock that came to me was that when finding out that Sammy was related to Leo, but he was also his great-great-grandfather, I believe. So it was just shocking to me that that was how long ago that Hazel was actually... That was when her actual timeline was. Now... It is mentioned a couple of times that she did live years ago compared to the other demigods. However, I think the 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 realization of Sammy's great great grandfather or Leo's great great grandfather being Sammy, and that and Sammy was the one who was in love with Hazel. That just that that really I think that that shocked me a lot more than compared to some other potentially uh, uh, scenes in the books. Um, so yeah, that that was probably the most shocking one for me. Uh, next question is favorite place in Greek or Roman mythology. I would probably would like to. I I like the Parthenon because it's mentioned so much in the books, and I would definitely love to visit it someday. I think that it's very um, it's very fascinating and it's a beautiful place to admire. Um, so yeah, I would definitely love to visit it someday. Next question is, if you could be one of the minor gods, who would it be? Uh, Hypnos. I love to sleep, and Hypnos is the god of sleep. Would love to be him. Um, next question is, favorite mythology? I, this may seem like a generic answer, but uh, I actually think I like them all. Um, I actually, I, I'm not just a Greek mythology. I don't only enjoy reading Greek mythology. I just love mythology in general. Um, that's what brought me, that's what first, in the beginning, when I first looked at, you know, skimmed through these books when I was, um, a bit younger, uh, it was because of my passion and my interest for mythology in general, um, and finding out about Rick Riordan books and how Percy Jackson was essentially around Greek and Roman mythology, it was, it was great, I, I, I was very excited and, to read about it and now that I'm reading the full length stories of and books of it I I'm I definitely wish that I that I read it back then um and I just did I didn't just skim through it but that I'm I'm not I'm not I think I'm definitely more happier right now that I was not able to miss out on the opportunity and I'm still am now able to read it because I do love mythology any type of mythology um that's why hopefully in the future if I'm able to 
I will try my best to make also a um, series on the King Chronicles or any other um, pieces that Brick Riordan has written. So, yeah, uh, stay tuned for that. Potentially a future series in the making. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see about that. I, but, yeah, uh, with the question, I love every type of mythology. Next question is, which do you like better, the Titans or the Giants? Um, see, that's a fascinating question because the Titans and the Giants are both, I guess, evil in their respective ways. However, there are outliers. You know, with Giants, you see... Um, with, or at least not with Giants. I don't think I can remember one in Giants. But with Titans, you can see people like Bob, um, as you know, as we're seeing, uh, who are very, very helpful. So I think that there, there must be good ones in the Giants. I'm just, I don't think I'm able to remember one right now. But um, I think there are outliers and and monsters like them who want to help people like Percy. Annabeth, the demigods, and I think that people like them are very, you know, they're they're one of the most valuable people, you know. I think that they genuinely, it's either it's it's just whatever their reason is, it's the fact that they're willing to help the demigods, especially when they're up against such narrow margins and possibilities. It's still such a heartwarming thing to see that they're still going to try and help the demigods because they want to. It's not that they're being forced to. They they truly, out of their own will, want to help the demigods. And I think that that's, on both sides, that's just beautiful to see. Um, so I'd probably say they're both great. The outliers, I wouldn't say the evil ones, but the outliers in both the groups are just great. Um, so yeah, that is it for the Q&A session. I hope you guys enjoyed that just as much as I did. And next week, we will continue reading this with chapters 66 through 67 or even more chapters. We'll have to see. And I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.